this is the second podcast for Tribe, and uh, it's been a couple of months, actually. How many months has it been? Two months, three months? So re-listening to it and rereading some of it, I've got a couple of points, Um, but I don't want to start dry on those. Like, do you guys have anything that you you would... uh... Um, I... I was thinking in listening to the recordings and also reading some of my notes from last time um, that I think I think I made a, a mistake in trying to apply principles from modern psych anachronistically. And by that I just mean like I was taking principles from modern psych that's part of our you know, social evolution, and I was trying to anachronistically apply those to tribal customs and practices, which I, you know, obviously wasn't there to participate in Mm. and don't know much about. So I think, like, in listening, I I could see, and you can see it, like, sometimes in preaching, too, like, someone will take something modern, and then they'll kind of, like, project that into an Old Testament backdrop. And I think I just did that with the tribal rite of passage in listening to the recording. Um, And I think, I I guess, like, the place I came to was, okay, maybe it worked then, but I question the necessity of it now. And that's probably what I should have said last recording, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But that was more what I was thinking, was maybe I was taking these ideas, you know, of identity and value and, you know, not acting out of deficit but out of fullness and, like, things that I've like read in modern psych and I was trying to put that on ancient tribes who obviously survived and made it so there has to be some merit to their practices in in some in some measure so that was what I was thinking and listening to the recording it's kind of like how easy it is to pass judgment on people even like 20 or 30 years ago you know what I mean it's like uh I think morality is things are progressing in America obviously like the me too movement you know regardless I mean there's parts of that that personally there's parts of that that I've seen go sideways recently but like the idea that it would be we'd be moving towards workplaces that are above board where you can't grab you know grab a handful when you want you know <laughs> that's like an amazing thing and it's not that it wasn't wrong 20 years ago but you know, knowing that, that it's in our, that it's in our nature to be misogynistic is, it, it gives you a, it gives you a, um, it helps you see what we're crawling out of, which is maybe what you're saying, right? Like instead of, instead of trying to apply like today's filter on, on tribal culture, you see that maybe the problem of today or the problems of today are like residual, like we're crawling out of that hole. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just trying to think if, if there's a parallel there, I think, I think the me too movement is, you know, is, is quite a subject and I'm obviously proud of the progress we've made, but I wouldn't ever want to excuse the, and I know you wouldn't either the, the tribal elements of that. Right. No, I'm just saying like, it's like, actually, one of my first things I wanted to talk about was this, like, what, what exactly you have as a 
primal toolkit, like what helped us survive. And, and it could be that that what we now consider to be completely unacceptable in, in the way that people treat each other, it's actually just, it's part of our animal nature that we're getting over, you know? I think I'm nervous about going down that rabbit hole because I feel like you could excuse morally egregious behavior based on your tribal roots. No, I mean, well, we don't excuse war and war comes from, from our tribal roots. So it's like, I'm not saying it's a necessary thing. I'm saying that's how, that's how we survived was being a warring tribal like gangs. Like if you look at the studies on, on, on chimps, they're brutal. And they'll like, I just watched a video a few weeks ago of a group of chimps, like gathering up. I didn't talk about this in the other podcast. Did I gathering up like in a group <laughs> and like running through <laughs> and then like patrolling through the jungle and looking around real quiet. They're heading into the other chimp tribe territory and then they run in and they ambush this woman and they chase her up into the tree and they yeah woman chimp yeah woman chimp <laughs> either way it's a woman horrific. chimp okay. right i mean like if these are re relatives of ours which i believe they're relatives of ours it doesn't excuse the behavior i'm just saying like it it's where we come from so it's like it it just adds it adds a little bit of uh uh understanding to why it's there you I know what i mean I think it makes me nervous because of the spillover into the ideas of total depravity that I grew up espousing and 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 um, teaching at some point, and obviously would wouldn't teach today. But the idea that like we could we could ex and again, you're saying you're not excusing it, so I'm not accusing you of this. Well, it comes from somewhere. Like people are evil for a reason. We're just talking about the source. We're not saying that the modern man needs to rip a female's arm <laughs> no, off. No, I, I don't think that's what Dave's saying at all. <laughs> I'm saying that like I've I've seen people escape accountability by appealing to a baser nature. And whether you believe that's via the fall or via the our primal ancestors. But we're not we don't survive that way anymore. So like if you take the morals out of it, like just just Dar in terms of Darwinian thinking like that was how we survived at a certain point. The environment was a certain way and we were developed a certain, we just grew out of what we were with those survival instincts. But now those things don't work as well. And we've developed into agricultural communities and urban communities where treating people that way doesn't work. It doesn't help us survive. So like even in an evolutionary way, it's not justified anymore. We we've moved past it, and now the way to survive is to be close together and to take the things from t tribal thinking the way that Younger talks about. To take the the valuable things that we miss that you know that help us today and living living in those things like those are innate as well. Like the bad and the like the in crowd out crowd thinking like that's tribal. But so is the fact that when turmoil happens, we gather together in groups and we help each other survive, like 9-11. Like he mentioned 9-11. He mentioned, we talked about last time, the British like entering a period of progressive thought because of World War II. Like they got, you know, the Battle of Britain 
was Battle of Britain or Battle of London? Battle of Britain was the was that sixty something day? I think it was sixty something day air raid from the Germans on London and a lot of the cities in England, and just bombarding England. And Churchill thought that like there, there was group there was a couple guys in group in in Churchill's group. Younger talks about it. They actually thought like the whole nation was going to go crazy. They were worried that everyone was going to start flipping out and getting shell shocked. And the reverse was true that people were coming out of the asylums and like driving the medical buses and like help everyone would everyone gather together. So any the point, the point, the, the, the takeaway from what you were saying is like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like the good things come from the tribal, right? And we want those to grow because they're helping, not just because they're helping us survive now, but because we believe they're right. Like we don't believe it's right to eat your children but polar bears do. So it's like, that's their nature. And instead of talking about it, like the fall, you could just say like their polar bear nature is, is to eat their young. The males eat their young and the females have to protect their, their cubs from the male polar bears because they're hungry and they've managed to survive until now. It might even be in some way. It's hard to imagine how it could be a survival mechanism, but it could be. And the same way, like, chimps survived because they were tribal and like part of tribal behavior is not so good you know and we wouldn't take that today as acceptable so i just say like there's a lot of things that we're working out the kinks on but but maybe maybe a parallel we could read this thing about ptsd because i thought it was pretty cool go for it and and it might actually like help help the conversation so so the note i titled the note ptsd is a survival mechanism the quote is this Quote, what I had was classic short-term PTSD. From an evolutionary perspective, it's exactly the response you want to have when your life is in danger. You want to be vigilant. You want to avoid situations where you're not in control. You want to react to strange noises. You want to sleep lightly and wake easily. You want to have flashbacks and nightmares that remind you of a specific threat to your life. And you want to be, by turns, angry and depressed. Anger keeps you ready to fight. And depression keeps you from being too active and putting yourself in more danger. Flashbacks also serve to remind you of the danger that's out there. A highly efficient single event survival learning mechanism, quote unquote, as one Richard termed it. All humans react to trauma in this way, and most mammals do as well. It may be unpleasant, but it's preferable preferable to getting killed now he's not justifying ptsd as an entity he's not saying like it's good that these troops come home with ptsd that's not what he's saying and this is like maybe a little easier of of a tie-in of a parallel he's saying like it helped us survive at a certain point in time yeah and you could even still imagine parts of it being useful like when i got home from iraq my, I remember, I remember my first week on the job, uh, we were, we were building a kit, we were doing a kitchen renovation, me and Dave Ryan. And, uh, I swear to God, there was automatic gunfire near the property. I, Dave thinks I'm crazy to this day, but I like, well, maybe not till this day, but at the time he thought I was crazy. I don't even know if he remembers it, but I like, I like freaked out. I swear to to this day, I think I heard it, but I, I 
don't think I heard it. And then the same day, or maybe the next day, we went out for lunch, and, uh, and <laughs> an ambulance was driving on the on Frederick Road right near your house. Um, I'll edit that out. <laughs> um, well, he doesn't know which one of us you're talking about. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. An ambulance pulled up next to us on Frederick Road and uh, and turned on its sirens full blast right next to me and Dave Ryan. And I like dove into like a little entrance area of a restaurant. This is like a main street, right? I dove into the entrance area and like turned into a ball. Hmm. You know, like I've never had that. Even in Iraq, I never had that. I never turned into a ball, but it was like my my instinct, right? And since then, I've I've never gone, I've never gotten completely rid of that, you know. But I I consider that to be a great part of myself. And I'm not saying PTSD is good. I don't have PTSD. I'm just saying like you can see the parts of that level of sensitivity that would make a person more apt to survive, which is what he's saying. But at the same time, it's like it's also debilitating, you know, so it's not good. It like it's got to go like we don't need it anymore or at least we don't need it that way. You know, I think there's like fascinating progress being made through EMDR with a lot of vets experiencing PTSD and like retraining the brain to reinterpret those events a certain way. I, I don't know a ton about it because I'm not like a therapist, but I've I've talked to therapists about it and I think it's like super interesting. Could you I think ex- you're right. explain that a little? What is EMDR? Well, again, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a therapist, so I I feel uh, you know like it's not my place to explain it. But my my base like lay you know in layman's terms, it's like you revisit a traumatic event that's causing like a triggering reaction, and you you speak to that event from a different vantage point, like years down the road. It's almost like reframing it. Okay. So like. You know, you take a situation where someone was, you know, uh, hurt or abused or was in a war situation and they have like these triggers, you know, and and the triggers aren't always logical. It can just happen out of nowhere. And then, you know, you revisit that event with someone who's trained and, you know, is a licensed therapist and understands. I think you have to get specific training just to be able to tackle that type of therapy. Like all therapists can't do it. Okay. Um, But they kind of like help guide you in the reframing process of those traumatic events. And they say for a lot of vets, it works. They don't know why it just does. So it's like a really like specifically targeted kind of cognitive behavioral therapy almost. It is. Yeah. And I, again, I, I, I'm actually hoping to study this in the next few years at you know, in an academic level and not just a Googling level. Um, but, but I've been told it works really well and people are able to reframe events that used to haunt them. And then, the triggers kind of start to fade a little bit. And I I don't think you can always rid yourself of every trigger when you've been through a traumatic event, but, but it does help them not reoccur as frequently is like my understanding of it. Did you know that Nietzsche is the one that said, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I didn't know that. Isn't that interesting? Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) That's super interesting. Well, but the idea that like any therapy would like, cause I was watching, uh, uh, can infinite we, can we quantify that statement because if i get bullied and i don't have the like you were you were calling them the what toolbox the uh primal, primal if i don't have a properly set up primal toolbox and i'm getting bullied and i don't know what to do with it 
how does that make me stronger? Well, I, I, I think that like the idea of therapy, I'm talking about the idea of therapy. It, to me, it seems like a therapist would try and help you come to terms with things that have happened to you in such a way that would give you some kind of strength or insight. Like it, I was watching that internal eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, the oh one with gosh. Jim Carrey. <laughs> and I started thinking like it got my mind on like this idea. So the movie is about like people that have their memories erased of their significant other in order to get over the relationship. Mm. And I was thinking about like memory and erasing things and like, Imagine if like a new type of therapy was like helping you erase memory completely. Like it probably would be good in certain situations, but like I think like the greatest thing is like to is to become the person who lived through something. I'm not saying it's good it's good to go through horrible things. I'm saying like the best way the best way to everyone goes through horrible things. So like the best, maybe the, it would be profitable to think of horrible things as being a possible, if you could think of like you, you becoming like that whole, that thing from the, that, like that saying from scripture, um, that you become the head and not the tail. Like the idea that you would be the person that went through something horrible and despite it, you are going to go forward. And like, and you're going to assimilate it properly and it's not going to beat you and it's not going to be over you. It's going to be something that happened to you and, and, and it's going to be part of how you conquer down the road or part of how you develop your personality in such a way to help other people. It's like, it's possible that something horrible that happens to you can become, it might never leave the the um, distinction of weakness, like it might always be a weakness of yours, but it maybe it could help other people, you know. It's good to have a toolkit to deal with difficult situations or mayhem in a productive way, and you can build that through careful decision making when you face a difficulty. So I think maybe it's not so much the difficulty that actually makes you stronger, but if you're reinforcing thought patterns that help you deal with trauma appropriately, then you are getting stronger. It's that decision that makes you stronger, not the trauma itself. That's, that's, that's kind of what I was I targeting. that's a good distinction. Jocko says, you know Jocko Willink, if yeah. you guys listen to him? Mm-hmm. He, he, he likes to say good to anything bad that happens. He's like, good. Like, you don't feel like working out today? Good. You know, like, you just lost your job? Good. You know, like he does that kind of a thing. And yes, like in the moment, like maybe it's more reality therapy than a person would want. Well, it could, it could be that too. But like, imagine if, like, imagine if that's how you dealt with something that was really crushing is like in the long run, you could say like, you know, it's good that it's good that I went through that because I wouldn't be, be this now had I not grown through something that bad. I have trouble with that, moralizing the traumatic event. Like, it's good that that horrific thing happened because now I'm like a more... Well, it's not morally good. It's not morally good. It's, no. it's, it's that I became stronger in dealing with I, that. Uh, but that, I feel um, like there are other impetus. avenues of growth, you know? Like... 
doesn't have to be the horrific thing that was out of my control that like made me more um i'm looking for a word and i can't find it because it's late at night and my brain's not working made me more but we're not talking about seeking out those traumatic events oh no no i didn't say so I'm we're, saying we're, like, we're dealing with the isolated case of like you go to work you got fired that's out of your control we're talking but, uh, about responding so to firing. situations that are out of your control i'm saying like someone who's stuck in a situation they can't really fix there's maybe handed to them and it's just a it's a crappy hand of cards they're dealt it just is and like i have trouble with the the idea that like one day i'm going to look back and be thankful for this crappy thing because it made me like I more resilient yeah. that was the word i was looking for a more resilient person or i have like you know a uh, uh, I have like a certain type of Jocko with with where he's going with that idea of saying good to everything bad. It's coming from his book about the uh, taking hyper responsibility, which became part of like his seals mentality. Like, what would be better than taking hyper responsibility for the things that are in your life? Stuff that yeah, even like your situation that like with someone getting handed something that's just ridiculous. Right. Responsibility is not like, it's my fault that this happened to me. Responsibility is like, it happened to me, and I'm going to kill it. Or I'm going okay, to crush it. And that's what I'm saying. It's like the strength comes through yeah. deciding that it's not going to control you. I'm going to control it eventually. Today, it's, it's got me. But tomorrow... I'm going to I'm going to win. And I'm going to make it I'm going to make it something that works for me. That's the ultimate thing instead of being crushed ultimately and and it's not possible maybe for some things. I that's don't what know. I was just going to say like it, it's uh, nuanced. But I'm, it's not like Right, it's not possible but generally speaking, what doesn't kill you becomes part of what you are how you're strong. And it might be strong through weakness type thing. Like we I think that's something we've heard a lot like in church is like this idea that weakness can be a strength. Because it tends towards humility, like it tends towards reminding you of your fi your finitude, and it helps you not be opportunistic, but it helps you find opportunities and like and look at the opportunities around you. Weakness, like in the Marines, they they had this thing about like weapons of opportunity, that like if you're in a hand to hand fight with someone, like a trash can lid is way better than no trash can lid, right? You can imagine if it's if it's life and death, anything is useful. And I think it's because you're weak, like that you want something around you to help you. And like, it's the weakness that brings the, it like get your mind. It starts getting your mind going on. How can I survive that? How can I fix this? You know, like a lot, there's a lot of people that you could call it like, um, overcompensation, but I think a lot of people become great because of how weak they are. You know, and weak maybe. in the sense of a lot of. I mean, I don't know. Weak in the yeah. sense of taking certain blows that life has dealt you. Not weak in the sense of being deficient because you're lacking something. You no, something I think wrong. both. Like I think some people are weak in certain areas, and because of it, they they learn to they learn to look for opportunities, and they learn to. I mean, like I follow these vets online that have lost multiple limbs. One of them was a, I think he was a Green Beret. He lost his arm and his leg on one side and his two best friends and, you know, in the explosion. And he is a 
world beater. You got nothing on his attitude. Like his attitude is, he could easily be the president. He is such a fantastic example of like, yeah, you're weak in a certain way, but like, what does that mean? It means all the other parts of me have got to work way better and I'm going to do that. I think I dig his attitude as long as it's not legislated to someone else in pain. No. It, and that's kind of what happens it, sometimes. Like, look at this guy who has this bad hand dealt to but, him and he but, killed it. And, like, now you should But kill legislating it. Like is like, like, yeah, so, but. Maybe what I disagree with. Yeah. Well, legislating is a tough thing. But if you were to say to someone, like, look, this could be in front of you. Like, this idea that you could get stronger through the thing that almost killed you but didn't. Or the thing that almost made you killed yourself but didn't. Like that thing that's that deep in you, like it's possible that you could turn this, turn everything around on that, on that axle, you know? I really appreciate um, like Peterson's kind of dark, pessimistic view on this kind of stuff. What do you mean? Um, so there's a, that, that kind of uh, stubborn, positive mental attitude about like, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to get, you know, overcome this can tend to start sounding trite or yeah, difficult or sure. legislative. I like to take the view like, okay, yes, that's terrible. It might continue to be terrible. How can I not make it worse? Mm. How can I mm. mitigate things? And how can I get things on an upward trend? What decision? Like, I need to take responsibility. How can I take responsibility to ensure that the situation does not get worse or make the best of it? But not say okay you know i lost a limb well good no no yeah. bad. <laughs> that's bad I, I think but that's let's make what we can of it not how anyone would ever say it right right but <laughs> but, but sometimes sitting on the other end of the pep talks and stuff like that yes. it can start to sound that way and i know yeah. nobody means it that way yeah i actually have a question about tough love like this is something that mm. i hear a lot especially from those folks that are maybe a little older than I am, seen a little bit more life, been through some te you know terrible things that maybe I can't even fathom at this stage of the game because I know we really have made a lot of progress in that. Like I remember, was it the last podcast where you said the fact that I'm the only one here who's been to war is like amazing? Was that last podcast? Did I say that? Yeah. You did. Yeah, in the tribes we were talking about. I think like... at the end of the last podcast. Basically just saying like it's incredible we're that now, yeah. we're so peaceful that yeah. I'm the only person in the studio who had to like go off to war. But um, this idea of and tough love. I didn't love, have to. Well, you didn't have to. Right, right, right. right. You know what I'm saying. Um, this idea of tough love, like, it's something I wrestle with. And I guess it's not really on topic, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But, like, at what point, at what point do you turn the flashlight around on someone and say, like, you keep using this phrase tough love, but are you really just an abrasive person who needs to be checked Mm. who wants everyone to process things the way you've processed them and you call it tough love but what it really is is like a moment of reflection where you need to recognize that like you can't legislate your attitude towards suffering to another person who's suffering it just doesn't work like it's that. like peterson talks about black truths what do you mean like white lies are are like wise lies that make people feel better and black truths are truths that make people feel worse so it's like right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it might be true that you are weak in a certain area, right? But, like, saying it to you might just make you feel horrible and not help you go forward. Right. And I think a lot of blunt people, they dwell in that 
in it's right. almost like, it's like sadistic. A, it's like know? a gear they're in. Yeah, it's a sadistic thing where they like they want you to like you know, it's it's almost like wanting you to brush with nihilism for a moment so that you can t- it, it I think it's well meaning, it's just it doesn't work. And I would say in some cases, maybe it is well-meaning. Yeah, but there some, are cases yeah, where right. I'm just no, like, it's not always well-meaning. I just don't know if you're fathoming right. like that. There's another soul in front of you that needs support or yeah. encouragement, and and you're saying like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just the one here giving you tough love, and yeah. I'm not Sometimes talking to anything just specific. Sadistic. It's just yeah. a pattern yeah. I've seen, and I wonder like, I wonder if we're legislating the way we see the planet, or maybe have been forced to see the planet based on our circumstances. I mm. don't know. Like you could have grown up in a broken home, and my home was not like that. So yeah. who knows? But like, it's almost like you're forcing that lens into someone's eye socket. It's like if they don't see it like that, if they're in pain, then help them. Don't say, "Well, get over it. You're being a, a baby. You know, whatever." Like that's tough love. I'm just giving you some tough love right yeah. now. It's like, or you could give me like, not tough love well be pragmatic some people need tough love some people do not how do you know uh, i don't know but (laughs) but pragmatism is like what he's saying about peterson is pragmatic like like yeah life is horrible and pain is everywhere and you're gonna die of a of either a horrible disease or a disease or an accident or in your you're going to die or someone you know is going to die painfully or it's going to happen it's going to be bad something's going to be bad and like, and something is going to be crushing and life is crushing generally. And like the only way to deal with it is to move little increments, little increments forward, you know, like one step forward. Like that's the thing to do is like not make it worse. And then like, what's the next thing I can do in front of me? But like what you said, the other podcast about that's... how you taught Joey to not be afraid of the dark. Yeah. Like you weren't like. Go down there. It's just a basement. Don't be afraid of the dark. But Monsters that's just tone. Real, that's just tone. No, but though. you said like, could you go to the top of the steps, bud? Yeah. About, okay. Could you go down another step? But like, it's still tough love though, because he didn't want to do it, and he was scared of the dark. And I could have said, man, I remember being scared of the dark. Man, that really sucks. And that being the end of the conversation. But instead, it's like, I want you to contend with the dark, bro. Which is tough love. Mm. It's tough. It's not easy. It's like it's not, you know. I think there's like something to be said about the tough love that comes from someone's abrasive personality or who's suffering from their own lack of um, being able to get past a simplistic worldview and all they have to offer and contribute sometimes is that tough love syndrome. Right. But really, I feel like that's one of the worst manifestations of like imposter syndrome. Where you're in a place where you suffer from chronic self-doubt and you inflict it on other people Mm. in the tonation of tough love. Right. But really, you still doubt yourself and you're at a place where you kind of force people to doubt themselves, which Dave said it another way. It's like a dash of nihilism to get you going. Right. But it probably doesn't suit most situations. Right. And in this group of people, I'll be the first to say, you know, being blunt or tough love really doesn't work most of the time. Um, but also, like, as we're talking about these very tribalistic and, like, evolutionary tools for our kit, like, the other side of tough love 
is like no to your child when they want something, you know, like, you know, you can't eat every night after dinner, a treat or a snack or a dessert. But I don't think that's what I mean is like, it's not teaching someone how to be temperate. It's this like, I, it almost feels like a cloak for someone's unhappiness or their harsh lens they see the planet with. And it could be I really that wonder, they've been through their own stuff. You especially know? from the place you're coming from on it. Like, I feel like there is a generational connection to this at times when, and maybe like even a millennial could have this to someone beneath them, but every generation sees themselves, you know, in hindsight when they're looking at younger people and their idea of imparting wisdom could be right. this like tough love but realistically it's not even wisdom or love it's just like they've been in similar situations and they've already realized there's no time to waste on like the caveats around the situation like dive in but do they think... could do it with such a different tone and with much more love than just like bare naked truth about it do you think it is like we were saying earlier residue of like our tribal roots like you don't have the option of feeling bad about that. We got to go hunt so everyone can eat so that we don't die. Like I, I would or do say you think a it's tribe, a useful though. mechanism. Well, actually, I mean, I, I don't want to get say, too far. I would say in a, in a tribal situation that's not modern, actually, I don't think they would find themselves in too many tough love situations. When you have so many fewer people and fewer resources and more wilderness and more psychotic beasts out there, and polar bears eating their young you don't have time i think for the version of no the version of tough love you're talking about i don't think the older generation could afford the miscommunication and the abrasiveness of like ah just go figure it out i think they have to do what dave did to his kid look i know you don't want to hunt another deer today but the tribe needs it and we're counting on you you think they had that uh you think they had that progressive of a methodology? I think if you look at how the Egyptians worked together, I think if you look at how yeah, they use nomadic <laughs> on other nations, not yeah. always their own people, right? It was go get a bunch of, you know, immigrants, make them work for us. But even nomadic tribes, I don't have time to be an arse to you another shepherd in a nomadic tribe and be like yo go get that done and you're like man and i'd be like look just get down to that field and do the business i don't have time to actually be abrasive to you i've got to sustain the relationship that's necessary for my survival and not get back to the tribe and say yo matt's not doing his shepherdness and then they, they execute you you know for not I'm gonna use that for not supplying what's necessary i think they had to be slightly progressive at times if they were gonna grow i mean there's a couple of things here though like um there's tough love and then there's hating weakness mm. which is i think that's what i'm talking about yeah there's people hating who just, weakness cloaked as tough love yeah okay which is i would agree with that you know i mean you could say that's honor culture and that's also part of narcissism <laughs> so like there's a cultural value like okay don't get sappy on me let's not get weird 
And then there's also like, I don't like people around me expressing emotional need because I'm not equipped to deal with that. So shut your mouth. Andrew, hmm. could you talk you know? about that in the context of like the honor culture in many Asian circles, how it gets misconstrued some ways and also it can bring great value, but how that's exactly, that can come out exactly the way Matt's hoping it won't. Like the shaming of the family and the reputation in the community kind of yeah. thing. And that's where some of the tough love might come from. I feel like that's just a good example of like, it can go right or wrong. Or am I off base here? Um, I, I don't know that I could comment on that too. I mean, I know there's a, um, <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could make a cohesive answer on that. I only brought it up because uh, recently a friend of mine went to Japan and came back and he found that during the beginning of his trip, he had a lot of new friends. Mm -hmm. And as he did really stupid things or weird things or awkward things, his friend base had shrank fewer quickly. friends and, no and they friends. were our age. Yeah. But this culture of like, okay, I, I'll, you know, test me once, test me twice, do something weird a third time. And like, I'm moving on. A passive version of tough love was very interesting to me. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. That's what I've experienced more in my upbringing as well than like what you're. Yeah. What we what you're kind of. I think of you can see it out. in the West too, like a, a parent who's maybe trying to live vicariously through their child, hmm. like maybe not satisfied with the spot they're at, and like wants more than anything else for their child to attain what they feel they might have missed they might push that child to do it and maybe that it it somehow aligns with the child's passions and it works out and the child's like well i'm glad that you want me to be a gymnast because i love doing backflips like but then other times maybe not so much and that that's where I, i've heard that card pulled in the book tribe he also brings out that it's very funny that the energy of male camaraderie is very close to the same to the energy of like male conflict right he says like in a bar fight he's talking about some guys who get into a conflict and they're they, like this one guy basically tells sebastian you have to fight for my honor i've offended these men there's three of them and they like want my hat and now you have to fight them for me right right but then in a split section second that guy walks away gets wine pours wine into the hat makes everybody start drinking and they end up like pounding four bottles of or do you think he said jugs of wine between them and then no fight happens but it was the point that the energy of male conflict and and also camaraderie can be very similar mm. and misunderstood i wonder if tough love is a male misappropriating his attempt at camaraderie through a version of conflict I mean, I know, I know in, in some of the groups that I've been in in my life, some of the groups of friends, like that has been the tension. And I, one of the points I was going to talk about tonight was that very story in the book that, where he talks about the dichotomy of closeness and yeah. conflict, which is like, it's very interesting that those two things are so close together. And if you're in a military unit or you're with a tight knit group of like alpha male ish dudes, like there's there's like a come on bro toe the line come on bro make yourself better come on bro like you know 
be the head and not the tail is like that's part of the camaraderie is like we're all getting better like don't let chaos beat you like like and sometimes the sometimes like things can go sideways because like the camaraderie like fades a little bit but the expectation remains high you know so that's there i actually wanted to read that quote from that so he at the end of that story about the bar he said what i liked about the encounter was that it showed how very close the energy of male conflict and male closeness can be it's almost as if they are two facets of the same quality just change a few details and instead of heading towards collision the men the men head towards unity there seemed to be a great human potential out there organized around the idea of belonging and the trick was to convince people that their interests had more in common than they had in conflict i once asked a combat vet if he'd rather have an enemy in his life or another close friend he looked at me like i was crazy oh an enemy 100% he said not even close i already have a lot of close friends he thought about it a little longer anyway all my best friends i've gotten into fights with knockdown drag out fights granted we were always drunk when it happened but think about that mm-hmm. He shook his head as if he couldn't even believe it, which is like, I have had friendships like that. And I know that I've been like that with you guys at times. Like it's part of like my love for you guys is that, is that I want, like, I want, how do you put it? Like, I want the, um, uh, the dialectic, like I maybe, maybe too much sometimes. Like I want us to grow or the conversation to grow or like, I want progress for all of us and myself and what we could be is right. Like it's play. What we could be is plaguing me, you know? And it's like, that's a tribal, that's a tribal phenomenon. Like what we could be as a tribe is essentially something I, I kind of have to keep at bay because you can't achieve it all at once. You have to like slowly do it. And, and it, and it requires, which is what your point was, Matt, it requires proper speech and like, and proper speech is not the thing that pisses people off. Like that's not proper speech. Right. You're not going to accomplish the the mission or the goal or the you know the mission statement if you utilize speech that doesn't motivate people. So like motivating certain people takes a certain type of speech. Motivating other people takes a completely different type of speech. And you would be you would be unwise to try and cross wires there. You know, it'd be unwise. It's a round peg in a square hole or vice versa. It's like when people are built a certain way where they can't handle really edgy, tough love type pep talks, then don't use those with them. You know, if you if you care about the future being a good one, then be pragmatic, which means tough love doesn't work for everyone. Reality therapy doesn't work for everyone. And like you got to know when it's not progressing your relationship or the conversation or their life or your life or the, or the ends that you're looking towards are not going to be achieved because you know you're unskillful. So like that's what you're saying it's like it's unskillful and sadistic. Like sometimes it's not sadistic. Like sometimes like people mean well, sure. but but it actually ends up affecting the person the same way a sadistic person using black truths would would affect them. It's like right? Yeah, it's worth knowing, though, that something about the idea of the group that you're part of is worth contending for. Like, there's something important about it. 
there there are values that are shared and if somebody is is stepping outside of the bounds of those values like we're going to talk about it and uh, i think that's probably what attracted me to you know evangelical religion in the first place which i'm not so much a fan of now but it was that okay here are values and people are going to take a stand and you know it's spelled out and there's something worth pushing forward into society here hmm. you know as opposed to something that's just like so well considered and so rational and so uh multi-perspective that you kind of end up in this strange neutral place where there's no conflict but there's also very little affection it's yeah. just kind of like there mm. nothing really matters so much it's all really even and yeah there's there's something to be said for a certain level of caring enough to contend that's such a great point <laughs> that's such a I great I hadn't point. thought about it from that angle like you're drawn to you're drawn to the fight because you think there's something valuable there to fight for but yeah it's. I mean, this might be. Tell me if this is way off base. It's way but, off base. Okay, then I won't say it. I'm <laughs> no, not no, going to no, say no, it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. <laughs> no, you just prefaced right. it. You no, know, you're, you're right. It. I don't you're know right. What you're gonna say. No, I'm going to read the next quote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm I kidding. know what coming back to America from a war zone is like because I've done it so many times. This is the quote. First, there is a kind of shock at the level of comfort and affluence that we enjoy. But that is followed by the dismal realization that we live in a society that is basically at war with itself. People speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign born, the president, or the entire U.S. government. It's a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime. Except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral superiority in the speaker. Dang. Contempt is often directed at people who have been excluded from a group or declared unworthy of its benefits. Contempt is often used by governments to provide rhetorical cover for torture or abuse. Contempt is one of four behaviors that, statistically, can predict divorce in married couples. People who speak with contempt for one another will probably not remain united for long. This is like, I think this is like maybe where the dichotomy slides off the cliff. Because what you were saying just now is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like, is a relationship where you're so concerned with the other person's feelings that you never say anything and you might you might not be able to help them because of that like an absence of any speech for fear of contempt but like if you don't have contempt in your voice you have criticism and if the criticism could be properly couched it could help someone greatly you know if it's if it's if it's finessed if it if it's skillfully injected it can be like the greatest thing ever and like and a person's self not self-doubt but a person's reluctance to be the cynic or to be the man with black truths the bolt you know the the blunt person with black truths your reluctance to that is just enough to guide your speech and to keep you from saying stupid things or from putting trips on people at the wrong time 
But it's amazing how like when that slides off, you have all these people. And I, I want to move to the next issue now because like it, it's, it dovetails good. But like when that slides off, you have a group of people that potentially could be united under a single flag. They are. But instead, like they're so occupied with the things that aren't happening. You know, the ego, the ego is essentially popping off like it's 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 writ large because like everybody is concerned with the things about the society that aren't benefiting them. And like and and I don't want to be I don't want to be insensitive because movements like Black Lives Matter or Me Too, like. I think that there's legitimate concerns in there and they're they're viable movements. But like it seems like anybody like that can fractionate down to like the the slightest bit of inconvenience can become like a wound and a slightest bit of inconvenience can become like oh my gosh it's like oppression. It's like no, you're just a wuss. And and Let's... and I said the slightest bit. I said and and I think that that's what he's talking about here is that like everyone's wrong and the whole country's terrible. And Younger says at the end of the book, like there's nothing like the United States. And after 9-11, like all that stuff went away. Like he had some, I want to read a couple things. Like this is contrasted with the unity of New York after 9-11, right? Is my note. There's three things here. After 9-11, there were no rampage shootings for two years. Wow. The suicide rate dropped twenty percent in the month in the months after nine eleven. The murder rate dropped in New York City dropped forty percent. That's amazing. Difficulty something you really could complain about, like really should like it's like it could be it could put us in a wartime situation for fifteen years, which it did. Like our nation was at war for fifteen years, and we didn't lose a lot of our young men, but we lost young men. We lost a ton of tax revenue, trillions of dollars in tax revenue fighting that. Like a lot, a lot happened at 9-11 and it was a lot to complain about. And what happened? Like people, people like moved to the middle, moved to unity. Like you had groups that didn't have unity. Now they have unity. That toxic attitude was gone for a little bit. So it's like, I don't know. I just want to comment about contempt and that toxicity that comes with it. Um, very recently, Nike decided to exploit this. Nike decided to use an athlete named Colin in their most recent ads. And from a marketer's perspective, I like observed the reactions. And Nike's um, online sales skyrocketed by 30%. Online sales, not in-store. Online sales skyrocketed for 30% the entire week of that ad drop. So he's already valuable to them for $163 million in additional revenue. So the, the observation is Nike took a very polarized person and a very polarized issue, brought them into an ad campaign, because they knew there are going to be people who have contempt and people who have praise for this person and, and their situation. And people were lighting their Nike gear on fire and recording it and posting it on social media to the point where Nike had to release a statement on how to properly burn 
their gear for safety because they were then they were already getting sued (laughs) by people who caught their house on fire (laughs) trying to burn their nike gear in contempt but how sad first world problem is it that regardless of your stance on the issue or the way they went about what they were doing they used our primal instincts against us but okay so hold on there we go well okay so here we go matthew no i i don't want to i had no intention of discussing this tonight um so okay so nike makes a profit right that's something none of us can none of us can say didn't happen right but just because you make a profit doesn't mean that aligning yourself with a certain cause you believe in um well how could i say it just because you make a profit doesn't mean that the cause that you're championing or at least appearing to champion um is not worthy of support and worthy of national conversation yeah like agreed so like people i see this online a lot like well nike's using you know the the pain of this community to to make money and it's like or nike's making money because they're a corporation and the pain of that community is something that we need to discuss and needs to be in the national conversation and is in the national conversation and like i take it as two separate things like a business made money and then also people are empowered and the national conversation is you know louder than it was before so like a company's decision to support a certain message whether it makes them money or not doesn't invalidate the message for me so like i believe in what what uh, well i can't speak for nike obviously but what i think they're trying to put out there is support for colin kaepernick and the pro the protests and i regardless of how much money they made off of it at least they're backing a message and like you could be super cynical and be like they don't care all they care about is money and even if that's true they're still choosing to amplify a national conversation that we need right now i agree that there's a there's a discussion on the table that um is an issue with the community that's a long-standing issue Okay. But I can't. I was just. I was going at the observation of when we look at this primal idea of contempt, um, from the book of the tribe and how it can be used against us. Sure. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not picking a side on the issue with what Colin represents and what Nike is uh, deciding to back. I have. I'm neutral. On okay. that for the sake of this conversation just usually the just so you know usually yeah. the people who make the point you made earlier are not neutral they're saying it's yeah. a it's a money grab and they could care less about the issue and it doesn't that makes the issue get smaller and i'm saying i don't agree with that well from a marketer's perspective every business wants to make as much money as right. possible and that's something you have to concede the for o- sure the other side of it is they chose to actually advocate for an issue that many people would not normally advocate for right now right. and they lost customers which a is what you're saying customers. yeah, yeah. They, and they lost a demographic of a customer which is that not they were the okay demographic with, that they usually market to that they are okay losing. i would yeah i would say that's probably not true like there's a lot of like there's a lot of mm, how do you say this politically correct way oh my gosh why are we talking about that? 
I mean, uh, the well, people that no, there's a lot of, Shark Tank. I mean, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people that that are bothered by that exploitation and like, and they, mm-hmm. and they felt, they felt, uh, uh, they felt like they were being targeted by a company that they've spent a lot of money by, uh, mm-hmm. to African American yep. or Caucasian, Caucasian, because African American, I mean. The ones that I know, yeah, no, African American, they're you, completely empowered by the ad. It's right? like finally someone's yeah, talking, I'm not talking about, about them. It. Okay, so you, you're saying the yeah. Caucasian community? Not is, all of them, but, but I know some. The, right. I know some that feel. Well, I know, I know Can police I police officers that feel like they're targeted by that support. You but know, because you, you further polarize things. What's that? Just to be real, are you talking about older Caucasians or younger? Uh, younger. Both. Yeah. Not talking about both. I'm talking about both, but younger. There's younger. Yeah, not yeah. There are younger people that I know that are bothered by the Nike ad, mm-hmm. and all you got to do is turn on Twitter to see the the gazillions of those people, young people that buy Nike that are burning no, their stuff. No young. So I mean, obviously they're customers. But like, if you burnt every product that is produced, <laughs> that is produced by a company that stands for morally egregious things or under the you know under the carpet there's morally egregious things you wouldn't have many products left to to have or right which is what andrew's saying is they're they're now they're obviously they're targeting a different group of people for their product now they don't want those they don't care so much if they lose those customers because they are targeting a specific demographic the people who wear red wing work boots are not the people who are going to be buying nikes Oh, that's an overgeneralization. Right. <laughs> so, but, yeah. In general. But the thing that I think is interesting about this contempt business is when you hold someone in contempt, that means you have stopped the conversation. Mm. Your opinion doesn't matter because yes. you're so far off the rails that you're outside of the uh, Overton window of decency. Yes. And we've gotten to the point where there's, you know, two major social groups in this country, not even social groups, just like identities that are rare, that are ideologies that are barely even cohesive within themselves. Right. There's two different identities and their windows for what are decent and valuable in the public discourse are so far apart that they can't even agree that like, okay, that guy can like kneel during a football game if he wants to. Right. Who cares? And people don't want to talk about the other side. Doesn't want to talk about the cops that keep this country safe. But there's such con- <laughs> there's such contempt that they can't let one guy just do what he wants to during a game. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and like like so if if a a group of people in our country don't feel safe and the flag does not represent the same thing it represents to me, mm. why wouldn't I want to hear why? why they don't feel safe why wouldn't i want to engage in that discussion like if you feel strongly enough to use your platform as an nfl player to highlight something then i i'm all ears like tell me tell me what the situation is instead of that we have we have people attacking this guy like he's the devil and he as far as i can tell he's peacefully protesting so yeah the the interesting thing about the polarization hey sam welcome (laughs) uh yeah i've been kind of tired tonight but i'm sorry uh yeah and like you mathematicians are actually studying this the polarization and we can show that uh we are more uh we are just as polarized as uh we haven't been this 
Yeah, we talk. haven't been this polarized since the Civil War. So, wow. uh, because they, they can measure polarization by several different factors. And yeah, we haven't been this polarized since the Civil War. And I think it's uh, driven by, uh, yeah, it's just driven by media because it's what sells media. The fact of the matter is, though, the, when, when you have objective uh, polls, like most people are in the middle. Like mo most people are not part of this polarization, uh, but they're just so sick of the polarization that they don't engage. And so, um, so you feel like people are worn out by the media, right? People are worn out by the polarization, so they don't engage. And so what's ends what ends up happening is we're now having this pendulum swing. Uh, from one side to the other and so like uh, back when Obama was president I was scared of what was coming down the pipeline uh, with the pen because I knew a pendulum swing was happening and then you mean politically a pendulum right, swing yeah politically and culturally uh, there was a so there was a pendulum swing happening towards the right and I was scared of what was coming down the pipeline and now the pendulum swing is going the other way uh, towards the left, and I'm scared of what's coming down the pipeline. Like, when I read what uh, these people have to say, like, our, like there's a whole wave of... Uh, now it's like the opposite thing happening where uh, Democrats are being primaried, and there's this wave of Democrats being primaried, almost like the Tea Party... Uh, what happened with the Tea Party on the right and yeah it's kind of scary what these new young uh, representatives are saying is actually kind of scary because they they want to shut down uh, speech they want to like yeah they they don't believe in freedom of speech even though the majority of people on college campuses believe in freedom of speech what if the speech is hateful it's uh, targeting certain people for certain characteristics that you know, and and in there, like what? What if the? I guess me and me and Dave have talked about this. Like, at what point do you not give a permit to someone to speak? Like, at what point when someone calls City Hall and says, like, I well, have a demonstration or I have something I want to say. Like, at what point do they reach a line where it's like so hateful that for the good of humanity you don't get a permit? And is that a violation of free speech or is it just saying like that hateful person can't incite violence <laughs> like with a microphone? Like, you know what I, I'm saying? I, I think the point is inciting violence, like inciting. So as soon as you incite violence, like you, you're you're out of here. Because I remember. So, so, so here. But inciting violence and triggering are two different right. things, which is what you might you might take issue with. Well, what mm -hmm. I remember is the guy in the Boston Commons who was yelling to bomb America, and he had a permit, mm -hmm. and he was protected by police to say it. Like regardless of what you believe yeah, about what he that, was saying, but like, that's not inciting violence unless there's no. It's <laughs> like, not inciting violence in that case unless there's a group of people around him that are being moved to violence. Like when there's a crowd of people and you can see violence is about to erupt, that's when they have to stop it because it's going to cause violence. But just saying violent things doesn't mean that you shouldn't be but talking people are trying to shut down people like i mean this. i don't agree with them obviously i don't i shouldn't even have to say that but obviously you shouldn't say that stuff about america 
But like freedom of speech is freedom of speech. And the caveat is when you're actually inciting violence, not Mm -hmm. triggering people or, you know, not like talking, you know, talking in such a way that like you could interpret as inviting inside it has to actually be inciting violence like so you're they, concerned they've about been effects. trying to shut effects down, yeah they've been trying to shut down peterson like they consider peterson as someone who should be shut down for hate speech uh, and they consider like they any so hate speech has been redefined so when you actually read the stuff that the uh new uh yeah the new leftists are saying uh they they even want to shut down their own people who like they've been wanting to shut down bill maher like who who's who's pretty leftist but like he's not leftist enough not enough (laughs) they want to shut him down he's a classical liberal though he is a is about absolute free speech right and and he's also very rude Mm-hmm. It's what? like turning Joe Rogan into a right-wing fundamentalist, like yeah. crazy person, which a lot of people treat him like that. It's nonsense. It's yeah. like Joe Rogan is not a right-wing guy. What yeah. about he has some conservative views? He's not part of like the alt-right. So stop saying it yeah. because it's not true. And that's the polarization. It goes that direction where you're like, you know, Peterson's a Nazi and. And Joe Rogan is a misogynistic, you know, right wing activist. And it's like, no, that's not true. It's he's rational and he's and he's middle of the road. And you might not like some of his issues, but he's middle of the road. Just because he's not a far leftist doesn't mean he's right wing. You're stuff delusional. It's scary because it seems like there's like a fundamental problem in the thinking behind that kind of idea. Like where they're conflating moderates with Nazis and and uh, speech with violence, yeah. and it's like th- there is a fundamental misunderstanding of idea. Like it, it's the kind of thing that a college freshman would believe because they don't have enough life experience to recognize the distinction between gradations of suffering. Right. You know, uh, which is what I was saying earlier about a minuscule thing you can turn into this. Gr- I guess you know, though, right. like. My yeah. issue with that is like what what someone from a different vantage point might call minuscule is not minuscule when you're in the shoes of the person you're saying is overreacting. Right. It's, part, it's connected to a long history of trauma. Or but the problem is like the re, the overreacting is where the is where the where it infringes in the same way that like the leftist wants to say the, the reason you're bothered is that the leftist wants to say that like there's speech that's hateful and like yeah like okay but who's going to decide who it's hateful who's going to decide that it's hateful twitter's going to decide has officially banned infowars and alex (laughs) jones right it's like who's who's the arbiter and like who's and like how dangerous is that that there's an arbiter of like what's hateful speech why instead why don't we just say say what you want doesn't matter what you what it is. Say whatever you please and let the chips fall. Let's see who you motivate. When did emotions become a crime? Like, am I not allowed to hate certain things? Like, I hate chemical warfare. That's terrible. Is that is that a problem to have an emotional response to like shutting off people's nervous systems without their consent? Yeah. Like, it, what's what's wrong with an emotional response? You mean it's, like trig, like what we're calling triggering? No, like, you mean when, like when when people say hate speech, 
Well, no, okay. If you're organizing an event where you're going to cause physical or financial harm to an individual, something measurable and real, that could be a crime. If you strongly dislike somebody, that's not a crime. But the argument is that <laughs> you strongly disliking me and you saying it like wounds me and oppresses me. And there, I think I you're trivializing s- hate speech because like, it's not like, oh, I, my feelings are hurt. Hate speech is like, but well, no, 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 no. We're thing. not there... saying there's not hateful speech where people are saying, like, I hate black people. Of course there is. Like Charlottesville. Right. Like it's hateful that's speech. Hate speech. Right. And right. they shouldn't have a permit. Okay, but the point, the point is, at the point is, is that people are saying it about people like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, that his speech is hate speech. I mean, I've watched them say it, and it's not. It's not, so it trivializes real hate speech, which is a problem. Just you not liking what someone's saying doesn't make it hate speech. And that's what some people are getting. They're like over, they're over exaggerating the way something makes them feel. Right. And they, they shouldn't, they, that. So we're not saying that there isn't legitimate hate speech. We're saying that there is actual hate speech and uh, it's hard to define, define it well. but yeah, there's also people calling so, something hate speech that's not so, i just want to make that clear right. in the air so here's the thing i agree with taking infowars off the air because it incites violence right and it did with that pizza massacre or whatever however that, was. that wasn't the reason they took them off the air the actual press release that they uh the actual reason was hate speech and hate speech is such a poorly defined term that I'm scared of that because they they can they've defined hate speech as basically anything disagreeing with the the left's ideas. I don't I don't know if I so it, I don't know if I if I don't believe in transgenderism then <laughs> then that's hate it speech. is the case. That's the case now. Yes, <laughs> like, the case. that's what the left is there saying. There are some some people who are radical and unbalanced, but there are also people that are more moderate that But those are moderates, Matt. That's not far left. The same way as like there are right wing people. Like there are right wing conservative in every way people that are very kind and do not speak in inflammatory ways. Mm-hmm. And they don't overgeneralize the other side. They're 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 right wing, but they they act as a moderate. They they act tempered. They're not polarized. But then there's right wingers that are crazy, right? So like, it we're not saying that every left winger is not you know. It, it, there's we're not saying that the left wing doesn't have parts of it that are moderate. I'm actually one of them. I would say I'm left of center. I'm left of center. Not in every area, but I would say across the board, I'm slightly left of center. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty balanced to the point where I'm saying that the left is wrong in what they're allowing to win from their message right now. They're wrong. And I, I don't think that they hold wrong views. I think that their approach sucks. Like, to me, to me the idea that there's a problem in America, a racial, a racial problem, I agree. But the way that, the way that it's being promoted, it's not, it's not skillful because it's not going to bring us to where we want to go. It's 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 um it's polarized that's the only way to say it let, let, let's let's move on because the way we're going to close this out is along these lines or at least the way i'd like to so here's the quote and then we'll talk about it the united states is so powerful that the only country capable of destroying her might be the united states herself which means 
First of all, that statement is true. We are way more powerful than anyone else right now. Our military is so, its an embarrassment of riches. How little shot there is of anyone taking us over, right? Yeah, you think that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The United States is so powerful that the only country <laughs> capable of destroying her might be the United States herself. Well, I think China is, if we weaken ourselves, China could do it. But right now, it's not a contest. Right now. Especially we're, we're with the development of the space force. One at this point. Yeah. But, it, I mean, especially, guys, don't you think with the development of the new space force? Untouchable. Okay, so let's keep reading. <laughs> I'll read it again. The United States is so powerful that the only country capable of destroying her might be the United States uh. herself, which means that the ultimate terrorist strategy would be to just leave the country alone. That way, America's <laughs> ugliest partisan tendencies... Hey, I was laughing, Dave. Can you reread that? I want the listeners to hear it. I was being obnoxious okay. and laughing. I'll read it again. Sorry. The United States... I'll read it again. The United States is so powerful that the only country capable of destroying her might be the United States herself. Which means that the ultimate terrorist strategy would be just to leave the country alone. That way, America's ugliest partisan tendencies, which is what we're talking about, could emerge unimpeded by the un, uh, by the unifying effects of war. That way, I'll read that apart again. That way, America's ugliest... I'm going to have to edit this like crazy. That way, America's ugliest partisan tendencies could emerge unimpeded by the unifying effects of war. The ultimate betrayal of tribe isn't acting competitively. That should be encouraged. But predicating your power on the excommunication of others from the group. Mm. Reviling people, this is about a paragraph later, reviling people you share a combat outpost with is an incredibly stupid thing to do. And public figures who imagine their nation isn't potentially one huge combat outpost are deluding themselves. And that might be a little bit apocalyptic, yeah. but I yeah, share so that the tuna view. tuna cans and the tinfoil hat. I share that view. Because to me, like all it would take in this country, and I say it to you guys all the time, all it would take is a corn blight. This country is roasted if we get a corn blight. Corn blight or a wheat blight. One of those two. I have a feeling that this country is so polarized right now that all it would take is a difficulty like that. The prices of food doubling or tripling would be crippling to us. And that rhymed. You don't think it might unify, though? It could. Because that's like the point of it could, his but, book. But, but, right. Okay, so it could. But right so, now we're so polarized. Well, well, what I've been trying to say is that our leadership, our government is extremely polarized. And that the media is extremely polarized. But when you talk to someone on the street, we're actually pretty unified. But but let me but let me just throw in the fact that there's data points out there like people burning their shoes. Right. There are hundreds of thousands of likes of that mm -hmm. of you know, of that ad. Like on Instagram, if you look at it and I, I follow a couple of jazz musicians, uh, uh, Robert Glasper is one of them. And he put up something uh, a while back that was it was salty about about the Black Lives Matter movement. It was salty, and he had a war. He had a war on his Instagram, and Instagram is not See, like you Facebook. You guys told me to come to Instagram because there's no battles there. Right? No, it, it's rare, but it, 
Blue moon. But to me, there's data points out there. There's data points out there. Uh, the fact that like there are contingencies of people that are incredibly angry. And to me, what he's saying in this is that like you leave her alone and the polarization is going to get to such a place where I don't think the corn blight is that big of a deal if we aren't polarized like this. But because we're polarized, I think it could shift. Here, here's it's the thing: obviously, the, speculation. The, major, the majority of our, <laughs> the majority of people in our nation are not polarized. So the majority, so when you do the survey, but the majority of people in Germany were not Nazis at the beginning. That's true. Right. That's true. Uh, so so yeah. So the thing is, you can debate both sides. So uh, the the polariz the polarization right now is the worst it's been since the Civil War. Uh, however, like when you measure things like uh, that's a horrifying speech, statement, Sam. Hmm? That's a horrifying statement. Yeah, but on the other hand, like we have the highest level of people believing in uh, freedom of speech absolutism. Absolutism. Uh, so, like people in the middle who just want us to say whatever we are thinking and not to censor people because both sides want to censor people i think the censorship is a big issue but i just wanted to bring up one other point in to add to this mix too like with the polarization that he points out that as much as liberals and conservatives fight each other they're both right and he goes into a little bit of depth about, about how some things. Well, he goes into depth about how they need each other sure. to Most balance each other out, and that actually, if we just worked on looking at when the liberals, because he brings it all the way back to tribalism, and how like liberals are like, we need to have money for welfare, we need to take care of the unlucky people, we need to take care of the widows. But then the conservatives are like, you ain't putting my tax dollars to use for anything but my highways. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for the impression. I wasn't either. <laughs> it happened upon you. Too many. It only happens once in a blue once moon. Once in a blue moon. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, I like, I think it's interesting that we are talking about polarization, but that like we need each other absolutely and like I, and you I, last time just to i want to close it out oh, my sorry, part with this i really was challenged by what you said last podcast on tribalism about compassion because i am not a compassionate human being deep down i believe you're a teddy bear i i would maybe but <laughs> the teddy bear with Tourette sometimes but but a teddy bear nonetheless deep down explicit explicit thank you <laughs> um <laughs> So much respect. I think I think that the compassion that needs to get brought to the conversations, whether it's the Nike ad, the exploitation, the uh, group of people that Colin represents, liberals or conservatives, um, I think it's interesting that in a tribe, especially that first story of the book, I was on the airplane today listening to the audio book. I completely forgot the first story of the book about the dude, the homeless dude. Gave mm. him his lunch. And like, I I was in my airplane seat a little bit like holding on. 
And the stewardess came by and like had to tap me and be like, are you okay? But I was getting nervous listening to the audiobook of him getting ready of the tension of having to get robbed by a homeless guy in his mind. But so interesting that his mind never took into account, potentially this guy is checking up on me. And he could be looking out for me. And he had that line in there, like, that dude took responsibility for me. Mm. To me, it's very easy to take responsibility, like, in business, in work, for my family. You know, put myself aside, take care of other people, or make sure I'm okay enough so I can take care of other people. But if it's not mixed with compassion, mm, that's interesting to me. That's not mine. I'm so sorry, I just interrupted your flow. That's not cool. It's all good. But like to me, I've never really put together responsibility and compassion. Mm. For me, it's either like, oh, let's be compassionate for a second. Or like, I'm a responsible human being. Mashing them together because like there's usually a topic where like you could say in the, in the polarization conversation and just hypothetically a liberal point of view would be like we need to have compassion and a conservative point of view would be like no we need to be responsible and not do that but realistically they need to come together I yeah think- it's definitely a yin and yang i mean like i see the i see the validity in the black lives matter movement i see it it's in there like it's a viable issue it's like it's something important that we need to talk about and I also see, I see what people are saying. I, what Peterson said about respecting the Trump voter, like mm-hmm. I'm not a Trump voter, but they had some good points in why not everyone and not everyone has good reasons for voting for people, but there were good reasons for voting for Trump. There were, I didn't vote for him and I never, ever would. If I had a million iterations of voting, <laughs> I would never, ever, ever vote for him. But there were good reasons for voting for Clearly. Him. Clearly. <laughs> and but, I have the best judgment. People tell me all the time I have the best judgment. Right. <laughs> Believe me. Believe, Believe me. me. It's the best judgment. Believe me, I have the best judgment. <laughs> but but I, I find I find like good points on both sides. But to me, like my question for tonight is a doomsday question. It's like, will compassion win? Or will we end up in a civil war? And I, I'm not I'm not like trying to get us to all like you know put bets on the table but i'm saying like where are we at right now are we are we too far gone are we like are things are things gonna fall down you know are you guys at all afraid about that sure it's like we're in the last days of the roman empire well-fed indolence mixed with contempt for our fellow human beings whoa (laughs) exactly like we are actually whoa (laughs) Holy smokes, Batman. When you look at our economic markers, like we're at one of the best places we've ever been. Financially? And, yeah, financially, uh, life expectancy, and all that. Um, how you're not I, talking about government. You're talking about like individuals and right, family. Right. As far as like we are in one of the best spots we've ever been, and yet like 538 uh, gives the Democrats a 75% chance of winning the House, of switching governments in our next election, even though we're living the best lives we've ever lived. And so it's because of this polarization thing. Like, we keep flip, flipping back and forth. There's this but pendulum swing, and it just 
there's a pendulum swing and it just keeps going back and forth back and forth because the average person just hates both sides and and is sick of it but one could make the case that the prosperity we're experiencing now there was scaffolding for that prosperity and some of that came from how the left did business mm. like to for people to celebrate and say like like i see like the my in my news feed i'll see like fox business insider and it'll say like since trump's been elected like everything is so great financial it's like Right. Those we, things are domino had, effects from other administrations. He can't just like take right. credit we, for you know what I'm saying. We've think? had mixed economy right for since FDR, and it like mixed economy means we have both socialism and capitalism, and that's what works. And so the um, and like no no. I just one, poured a sip out for Bernie when you said that. No, but no, but Bernie wants us to go all the way to socialism. And and then there's people who want us to go all the way to capitalism. But the last time we had pure capitalism was Calvin Coolidge. And like two years after his administration, we had the Great Depression. Mm. So it's like... I didn't know that. Wouldn't so, you think that there is like an opportunity for rebalancing things, though, at this point? I mean, there is... So like if you look at profits for corporations, they've gone consistently up. Mm -hmm. for the last 50 years but since like 78 or something the uh average wage just for inflation has stagnated and you know income inequality is way up so like there's a point there like maybe right there's maybe the ceo shouldn't get 12 salaries every year (laughs) it hasn't gone down it used to go up and down up and down up and down it it's stayed the same and our generation is kind of angry because we haven't like made it to the same level our parents got to. Right. Well, we were um, handed some right. pretty. Um, but. Well. I mean, I our lives are better up. than a hundred years ago. Sure. So. Maybe. I mean, my great grandfather owned a hundred acre farm, and I have an apartment. <laughs> but you have indoor plumbing. I will take the outhouse with the 100-acre farm because I can do a lot with that. It's like a category in Jeopardy. Yeah. I'll take the outhouse and the money. But you have a life expectancy to, like, 70 or 80, whereas your great-grandfather had, like, maybe 50 or 60. Even if he lived longer than that, the average life expectancy is what you're talking about. Yeah, that's true. Because farmers in general live to be like That's 800 true. years old yeah There's something we, to be said yeah. about that working with your hands like that and keeping that schedule keeps you young in a way i know my dad always says like that's what keeps him young is the dojo well, he like does those workouts fresh, and it keeps him young fresh unprocessed food it's <laughs> true true i think to answer your question as we close out dave like i i have hope for humanity I know, I know I'm like the, I know everyone's shaking their head in the studio. I'm an idealist, um, and I, I definitely am naive sometimes, and I put maybe too much salt in people and believe the best, and sometimes that shoots me in the foot, but other times, you know, it keeps my engine going to, to love people and look for change and have hope, so I know that sounds very like kumbaya, but I'm, I'm not convinced that we're so far gone that we can't 
we can't get back towards the middle together. I think actually podcasts, not necessarily ours, but podcasts in general where people are discussing these things openly and people are downloading it on their smartphone on the way to work. I think we need stuff like this where we can hash these things out. And I think like... I'm with you, Matt. I think we need more conversations. We need more dialectic. We need more people come to the table. Even people that really don't even like each other. Like Andrew was saying earlier, like even if you have like a strong, like I'm not a huge fan of you. Like let's come to the table and at least try to have a conversation. Cause... Well, what Sam was saying about a... Um... Uh, a quiet middle. Mm-hmm. Well, we, or maybe it was a discussion we had a few weeks ago or something. He was saying it tonight too. Like the idea that the loud people are at the poles, at the far poles, and that the middle is is not talking because this is what she said earlier. The mm-hmm. middle middle's not talking because they're tired of the polarization. Like I think that well, you know the middle is talking through podcasts like this. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think that like the reason why long form is is working is because long form it takes a long con- so long form conversations are working what's the proof of that Can things you explain like the term long form conversation is a long conversation right. but like the podcasts and the videos on youtube that are like an hour to three or four hour conversations between uh you know like the intellectual dark web people but it's not just them it's a lot of people that are having long form conversations i think the reason why they're working is because those people are having to hash out. It's like the embodiment of a, of a moderate um, uh, position. The embodiment of it is that there's nuance that you have to discuss. It's like because you're in the middle, you're understanding the other side of a line that's right in front of you. Maybe you're middle right or maybe you're middle left, you're so close to the other side that you can see what they're thinking and why they think it. And you're moderate and your self-criticism is high enough that you can see where maybe you don't know everything. And there's an exchange. And the reason why it's taking hours for these men to talk about things is because there's two sides of issues. You hear Rogan talk or you hear Peterson talk. Peterson's not a right winger. He's on the left on a lot of issues. And you can tell that he's right there when he says like, Yes, I understand why communism took off. I understand why people don't like despots. despots. I understand why people don't like being oppressed. I understand oppression. Oppression is there. Peterson doesn't deny oppression. And like people that are in the middle and having these long, drawn-out conversations on social media, like they are representing like the conversation that the middle already has. It's, the, it's why people are in the middle is because they see the issues as nuanced. And to me, like the hope of America is that those people stop being silent. They start talking more and they start talking about the middle. It's like when someone wants to be polarized about like how great Trump is, it's like, yeah, he's great. I, I, I mean, there's aspects of him that are great. I mean, I really hope he succeeds in the in certain things, and then other things I, I find him to be incredibly dangerous, and I find the way that he talks about people to be incredibly unacceptable, and I would never want my kid to talk like that. However, maybe this this thing about draining the swamp, there's something there, and I hope he actually gets into like campaign finance reform because that would be amazing. And like if there was, you know, if lobbyists in Washington, if big money was no longer buying more vote, like that would be cool. And like, isn't money where the swamp is? And like, maybe he could do it. Maybe he could do it. 
And like, that's how someone in the middle should talk about Trump because like Trump is not all like rainbows and, and r raspberry sherbet. Like, obviously there's problems there. <laughs> right. The Trump voters had good reasons for voting for him. Like maybe not all their reasons were good reasons, but they had some good reasons. Like there's a respect that you have to have for the good reasons that they had for voting for him. You know, you might not like the guy's personality. That's kind of, almost no one likes his personality. You might not like everything he says, because to me, most of what he says is inflammatory and it's and it's petty and it's hasty and he brags about not reading books he watches too much television like there's a lot of problems with the way he talks but there is something in what he's saying that that inspires enough people to vote him for president it doesn't that that doesn't mean he's a great guy but that means he's just tapping into frustration i think he is tapping into frustration i'm just saying not every reason for voting him in was a bad reason and like some of the reasons were not fulfilled by Hillary. Like some of the reasons are not shared by both of the candidates. Some of the, some, I should say like some of the attributes that people voted him in for some of the things they thought he would do. Hillary would not, you know, wouldn't concede some of the good reasons. Anyway, anyways, the idea is that there are good reasons for there are, it seems to me that there were good reasons that people had for voting for Trump, regardless of whether or not I would vote for him. I, to me, couldn't stomach the other things about him in such a way that would, that would justify, for me, justify pressing him the button. I couldn't, I couldn't co-sign on that, but I respect other people. But, but this brings, this brings it back to the table. Like what is the middle and and why is it important that the middle is talking? Like Sam said, like, it seems that the polls are the loudest and the middle's not talking. Well, the middle should be talking because the middle is so close to the other, you know, if you're middle left, you can see middle right. They're so close to you. You understand the issues in a nuanced way and you can see you have self-criticism because you're in the middle that or the fact that you're in the middle is, is, uh, illus Ill um, Eludes eludes to the fact it it's indicative of the fact that you have self criticism. That's why you're in the middle, and that's why people call middle middle of the road people fence sitters. The polls call the middle fence fence sitters. How could someone be a fence sitter unless they have a little bit of self criticism in them, enough self criticism to not want to run to a poll, enough self criticism to say like, wow, like my side isn't right enough isn't correct enough for me to just sign on everything they say. I'm I'm in the middle where like the other side has good points and to me the middle should be talking more. And that's what these long these long form conversations are all about. They're all about the middle talking more. And to me the salvation of America is in the middle talking more and not letting the polls determine, you know, the the social climate. Not not letting the polls determine, you know, uh uh, the swings in elections like let's have middle of the road candidates I want middle of the road candidates I don't want far left and far right candidates I'm not interested in that I want people that are that have a, enough self-criticism to not demonize the other side all the time like I want to hear it I want to hear it I want to hear people that say the left has a good point if they're on the right I want to hear the right say you know I want to hear the left say the right has a good point on this I want to hear that, or at least I want the, I want the, um, 
the functional dialectic, how things move forward, I want it to be more measured. That's what I want because to me, what Andrew said is, is, is what I'm seeing. There's contempt in a lot of what we hear people say. There's contempt. It's like contempt for police officers. Yeah, I'm not saying every police officer is a good police officer. Obviously not. There's police officers who get rolled up by internal affairs all the time. There's, there's bad decisions made out there. But try and understand that being a police officer is nearly impossible. Try to understand the, stress, the stresses that they go through. I'm not saying there's not sadists in the force. There are. But like that's not the majority of them. So to consider the police as a whole to be a bad group is just wrong. It's wrong on so many levels and it's unhelpful. And it tends towards a type of situation that you don't want. Where the police don't go into neighborhoods because they know they're hated. And I'm not saying that there isn't parts of police forces that that make themselves that target. I'm not saying that there's not mistakes that police forces make that have trickle down effects that have ramifications. There are like there's a you know, there's a price to be paid for making mistakes as a police force. That's why they should make less mistakes. They should train more. They should be better at their job. You know, that would keep some of those things from happening. But the other side is respect the police. Respect the police. That's the other side of it. Respect the police so that you can have a more civil discourse. Respect the police so that they don't always feel like the hood is the enemy. Respect the police. And there are there are black grandmas, there are black fathers, there are black mothers that say that. When a police officer says something, do it. Not because all police officers are great. Not because they all make you ha- give you a warm and fuzzy. But because they represent an attempt for law and order. Now, there's problems that need to be solved. There's a lot of problems that need to be solved. And a lot of the police, a, a lot of the decisions that poli- the police make tend towards a, a more difficult situation. And they need to be better. But like, we need to give them the room to get better. And like, to me, like, that's what the discourse should be. It should be, it should be measured. It should be, there should be, uh, uh, there should be, um, charity in speech you should be trying to look for the good intention in the other side not always trying to look for the bad intention or highlighting the bad intention that's there obviously look for the good intention steel man the other side don't straw man and to me the polls are just constantly straw manning that's all i see you turn cnn on it's like Oh, everyone else doesn't get it. Only we get it. You turn Fox News on, everyone else doesn't get it. Only we get it. And it's like, you know what? That's just not realistic and it's not helpful. And it doesn't highlight the fact that most of the country doesn't think that way. That's it. That's all I got. I think... No, go ahead, Andrew. Um, Have you ever heard this phrase, the medium is the message? Apparently this... um, this professor Marshall McLuhan, who wrote like books on media theory in the '60s, uh, came up with this I- this phrase: "The medium is the message," and it's the idea that um, the means by which information is transmitted, like TV or radio or books, actually fundamentally affects the way in which the information is received. Um, and you see both traditional media and social media engaging in this kind of uh, short-form, sensationalistic, uh, bit-sized messaging, which is engineered, actually, uh, 
specifically to grab people's attention and keep it and monetize it so that they can make advertising revenues to keep themselves afloat, especially um, traditional media that's like struggling these days is desperately clawing for viewership. So anything that they can possibly do to keep people engaged and watching and riveted to their televisions is what they're going to be putting out. And I think that I, I agree with you. That's like where these newer media of hours long conversations of people hashing out difficult ideas and reasoning with each other really is a better format because as people sitting down and talking to each other like human beings have for tens of thousands of years you know it's a couple of people around a campfire chatting out things that are important and that's kind of like what we're made for as opposed to this unidirectional engineered attention grabbing brain candy that's <laughs> you know it's not so good for our psychological well-being but there are some issues that are sensational, you know, like there are things that soundbite or not need to be addressed that need to be highlighted. And I think like I might not fully agree with Dave on um, the police issue uh, because I think there are certain certain places where Can you say where you don't agree. You don't think that they, people should respect the police. Oh, man, that's well, it's a. <laughs> put me on the spot yes in a perfect world yes but if it has been shown that police in a certain location or precinct or neighborhood are chronically corrupt then i it's it's hard for that's me that's not what i said though you said respect the police as like kind of a blanket statement and i'm G saying generally like even if there's bad cops in an area if you respect the police you'll probably you'll probably be better off. Like, it's even pragmatically true. Even if there's corrupt cops, like, yes, you should battle corrupt cops, you should still have an attitude of respect towards police. Right, and I don't want to go on record saying don't respect the police, but I recognize the, the tension and the frustration where chronic corruption is like that skipping so do CD. I. I know you do. So where do you disagree? I... I would have to go back and listen. You talked for a few minutes. Yeah. But I felt there were certain spots that I was like, I don't know about that, but I wanted to let you finish. And I didn't write it down. I could go back and we could rehash it. But I just, in in speaking with people where, where I hung out for many years, it didn't seem to be that simple. But I didn't say it was that simple. I said there are a lot of reasons that the police need to work on things. But that's one side. The other side needs to do their job sure. of giving the police a chance to get better. There is a there is a voice of like, you know, of of police are the enemy. There is a voice like that, and not all not everyone on the left talks that way. But like to me, the fact that like there's to, the fact that it's a polarized topic means that like both sides need to be heard properly. Like it is unacceptable for cops to be corrupt a it's also unacceptable for cops to make mistakes like that's unacceptable because a mistake that a cop makes means someone's life right so to me that it's also also it's unacceptable and it's impractical to expect that there would be no mistakes like that's impractical there are going to be mistakes because that's what a mistake is 
Like it's it's a it it happens because people are people. But training should be better. There's too many there's too many shootings that are that are sticky. There's too much of it. There's cops are beating people. Not all cops, not a lot of cops, right. but cops are beating people. I don't know what the numbers are. It's happening. It's unacceptable. So like that's one side. The other side is there is a there is a unabashed disrespect for police and they have good reason to be disrespectful, right? Like because they've had horrible things happen. Like LA Police Department has been horrible in the past, but they've also dealt with incredibly difficult people and the scum of society. Like when a cop comes to a to a uh, to uh, to a house call, right, and it's and it's some guy beating his wife. Like that's a horrible person, right? Or that's a horrible situation. It's like it's the lowest rungs of life. And he then he leaves that one. He puts a guy in the car, he brings him down the station, then he gets another call. He goes to a call where like a kid's been neglected and the kid's like on the on death's doorstep because he's got a terrible set of parents. And like and then he goes to the next guy and then he goes to the and it's like he's constantly dealing with horrible situations. So then he makes a mistake because he's conditioned He's conditioned by his environment in such a way that he's 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 losing his filter. So that's why training needs to be at a premium. To me, you spend more money on training for cops, right? More and more and more money. You should have like it should be constant, like that cops should be tailoring their skills. And I'm not a police officer. I'm not trying to make light of the job. I'm saying it's the hardest job that you could imagine. So there's we should give them we should give them honor because their job is nearly impossible and like and problems are caused by not giving them honor they're poli- they're pe- they're people that are in difficult situations all the time so they need to be given that space that hey man you're in a difficult situation all the time i need to give you the respect that that needs right like that needs respect did, so did you see that um police department out in washington um that made the news a year or so ago, they started giving the the officers like mindfulness training for how to deal with difficult situations. They would go out in the Olympia forest or whatever and, and just sit and meditate and um, try and refine their mental capacity for dealing with things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's not a joke. It's something that traditionally gets ignored, you know, in favor of, Let's get the job done. Let's push the paperwork. Let's move the people. But like, hey, the the quality of mind of these people is important too. And I think that's kind of reflective of what I was trying to say about the manner in which we talk about these things, right? So if you're taking the – it was Abby Hoffman that wrote that Steal This Book a while ago, Some Anarchist's Guide to like – building all kinds of devices that you shouldn't have your hands on and stuff like that like you take that track you're going to cause problems that's not that's not an effective way to address society's issues even if even if they're there disruptive but you take you step back from the social media and you step back from the 24-hour news coverage and you step back from the noise and you say okay what's the hard work that can be done Let's let's do this. Let's take hours and focus and think mm. and work and go to town halls and do the boring, difficult things that are going to be marginally effective to make things 3% better. Right. That's what people don't want to do. 
and that's what doesn't make money for advertising revenue and that's what's going to fix things yeah is doing things that are difficult and uninteresting and worthwhile yeah and i think that's where people need to be moving do you think that those avenues for change are accessible and clear and <coughs> um, promoted I think that's where enough? the long no. I think that's where the long form conversation comes in, and I think that's where the building personal relationships comes in. And I think that, um, you know, even there, it's it's not a quick sell. It's sure. something that takes time. Jim Brown is a is a is an activist. He's a longtime activist. He's always been like important in the black community, and he went to. Uh, when when the kneeling during the uh, the uh, anthem thing started, he met with the Cleveland Browns, and I don't remember all the details of the conversation, so I, I don't want to quote it, but basically he said to them like, "You're millionaires and your life is easy," and like, "Yeah, like you have a platform, but why don't you do like the hard work of being an activist and." go into the cities and do the work of helping people get their lives together and do the work of like being there for the marches when a kid gets shot and do the work of like do the work like that's some, what you do some of them do and some of them do but he's saying like when you do the kneeling yes there's an exposure right but there's also like it also like loses its like it, it it's not exactly boots on the deck for it's not exactly boots on the deck to be using that moment as a platform. It, it's like it's like Martin Luther King. Like he put his boots on the deck. He was involved with the movement. Yes, he had public, he had public marches. He had public speeches, right? But he was constantly involved. And if you're not constantly involved, you can trivialize it. Like he was above reproach, Martin Luther King. Unless you're Unless you're a racist, an absolute racist, you got nothing bad to say about Martin Luther King. Nothing. Because he proved what he was all about. He proved it. He was there over and over and over and over again. And to me, like these young these young players, like I applaud what they did. Like, but to me, like like the real thing is like don't trivialize the fact that you're moved by this by this difficult situation that we need to talk about. Like, don't trivialize it by just kneeling during a game and, like, and no, like, do the real work. And to me, that's what Andrew's saying. It's, like, it takes, like, a lot of work. And, like, yes, I like the Black Lives Matter movement. I like it. I don't agree with everything, but I like the fact that they were, like, troubled so much by how how often these shootings were happening. They're troubled as a society, so much that they're willing to lay down in traffic and they're willing to march. And I love that. I mean, awareness is important, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, and I disagree with the other side. That's like all lives matter. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, they have a little different of a situation as a, as a society, as a culture, a black culture has a slightly different historical situation than general America. Yes, they're within general America, but they have a different plight. So Black Lives Matter is not like Black Lives Matter, no one else's lives matter. That's not what they're saying. They're saying like when you see the black – they're talking to police officers. When you see the black kid, like remember 
when you profile him and you're trying to keep the neighborhood safe and whatever is necessary to do that job, remember that their life matters. They're, they, they matter. So like, be careful with your trigger, right? Know exactly what you're doing. Black lives matter. Like they, it's not okay that, well, police, police work, it's going to happen. No, 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 it, they matter. So be careful because those neighborhoods where you think it's dangerous and you're a little quicker with your trigger. Yes, it's dangerous for you. Yes, you, yes, you could lose your life in that neighborhood, but the policeman's job is impossible because his job is to keep everyone safe. That's impossible. It, it's impossible. It's a very difficult job, you know? So I in, don't know. In I, the business world, we have a parallel to that where when you're running a company or you have a brand, there's always this conversation in the marketing and sales department where it's like, oh, sales are down. Like we need more brand awareness. Like, can we get a cheap Super Bowl ad or like, you know, where's the best place to put our blimp with our big logo or, you know, what's the best billboards or where's the best mobile ads? Where's our brand awareness at with our audience? But brand awareness is just getting yourself into the minds of the people. But the other side of the conversation is what's the ROI? What's the return on that investment? And in business, the return on the investment is how many people bought your product after they saw that billboard. And it's, it's unquantifiable. A billboard, unless there's a phone number that's only on that billboard and your audience will call that phone number to get your service and you can track those calls through that phone number, then there's no ROI. So in marketing and sales, you have brand awareness, which is like, the shotgun of your brand out there, but then you have to be able to track it, see what worked. And if the billboards don't work, burn the billboards and do something else. Mobile ads, you can track how many people click. You can track how many people bought your product from that ad. And I think in the conversation specifically about, you know, humanity with, with liberal versus conservative, with black live, black lives matter, the conversation no one's taking both sides to the to the table like like you're saying like that's nice that you millionaires will kneel and bring awareness but will you now go do the ROI of actually marching for the kid who died in and, Baltimore and these guys the kids do, who died though. in St. Louis they do some they, of them do yeah do. some of them yeah. do and like and, and I would he was encouraging them to do something they already do some right. of them and yeah. I and, and publicize I, it like that's that's the conversation isn't the actual topic at hand. The conversation is we need to get away from the polarized conversation sure. that says, "Uh, oh, they're wrong or "Uh, oh, it's all lives, not black lives. And there's a quote in our book that really jabs at this. And it's from uh, the tribe book. Sebastian says humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. It's time for that to end. And I feel like if I'm an athlete and I'm a millionaire, like I want to feel necessary off the field. And that's part of what Colin is doing. That's wonderful. Right? And I can't have any contempt. Right? Let's tie the meta of this in here. I have no contempt for Colin. 
or what he what he's bringing to the table or what he did. There's... And I don't think you do. I just think that there's and forgive me for interrupting. I think there is a vantage point we just don't have access to because we didn't grow up as African Americans. We didn't sure, grow up 100%. in certain neighborhoods where it was a completely different situation walking to school, completely yep. different situation interacting with your friends. So like for me to say like kneeling is not boots on the deck. I don't think I have that right. I think it is boots on the deck. I think it is it's it's drawing it's drawing attention where I mean and and you could say like well things have gotten a lot better since the protests in the 60s and it's like that that's true in a lot of ways of of course it has but in other ways it just went underground like there's there's still undertones and things there's still you know like there's still so many things that need to be addressed and if an athlete who is making money uses his platform to address those issues. But don't I feel you want like them solved? The like, don't you want the issues solved? Of course. Okay, so in solving the issue, which is what he's saying about advertisement, like you want it to work, and and that means that you want the other side to listen to you. So you take the moment of the national anthem. I understand why black people think the national anthem's a joke. I get it. Because the and I don't have to live in their neighborhood to, to, to know that. Like. I know it just by, just by trying to attempt to, th- trying to attempt to put myself in their shoes, which I could never do. I understand why they think it's a joke. The national anthem. Put your hand on your heart. It's the national anthem. I get why they think that's a joke. Right. You mean the country that was built on our blood? You think the country that was right. built on our slavery? I'm gonna, I'm gonna like pay tribute. I understand it, but I'm saying like. If you really want social change, like maybe when you do that, like other people think that that's spitting on the flag and maybe that's wrong for them to be so quick to think of that. Right. But also like people died. You're sorry. Your your level is topping out here. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, You're hitting crack. Oh, also. That's better. Also, it's like. Nope. One more. Hello? Yeah. Test? Good. So, I mean, it's not topping out on here. Now you're good. It's not redlining. Yeah. Okay. You were getting frisky there. I mean, there, there is something to be said for the fact that the flag, that this country only exists right now. Yes, it only exists because of slavery. That's part of it. That goes back further, right? Yes. And to me, reparations, and I'm going back and forth. Reparations to me is necessary. I believe in reparations. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. But to me, I think the black community deserves reparations. Because I think that there's, there, is a, there is a trickle down. There's a carryover from slavery that's impossible to ignore for me. I, I see it. I see that the black community is trying to get out of what they were put in as a people group. Right? But at the same time, America since then, since slavery, America only exists because of the blood of American people on foreign soil. It only exists because of that. Those people died for this country. And like a lot of people consider the national anthem to be a tribute to those men that died. So when you kneel during the national anthem, you are not winning their hearts. And you're you're not going to get them to think that way. You're going to piss them off, which is what they did. Which is why they're turning off the they're turning off the cameras during the national anthem. They're not putting it on TV, and not because they're cowards, but because there's a huge consent, contingency of people in this country that are 
they are they're they're so moved by patriotism a certain type of patriotism you could say that it's they're just going to shut off so like don't you want to win those people like yeah awareness is important but don't you want to win don't you want to don't you want to convince there a people winning of someone who's whose patriotism is is that hot like no Yes, there's there a winning is. of them. Yeah, and you don't do it by spitting on the national well, anthem. I want to go on record saying, obviously, I don't want to disrespect people who've died in service. Yeah, like, and that's part of the discussion yeah. where you can feel the tension is if you have a loved one or a relative who is lost in right. combat. Right. Obviously, or serve, just serve, just serve in serve, general, yeah. or lost in combat. Like, obviously, that's not something you want to disrespect at all. But like, I just can't. I can't escape the idea that like I don't have access to the pain that that's that that knee is tapping into, and like I that's why I don't feel like I have the the right to say one way or the other. All I can say but is can't like, you say from a third person it's that's not working right now? It's it's generated more conversation than we've ever had about it's it. Generalized in more enormous polarization. polarization. Sure. Not to say that it's not gonna bring change, but when we look at how tribes work and we look at how people groups work. It's that it's the conflict we work together in where the race is not an issue. Your income level is not an issue. Your geography is not an issue. And the way Junger, uh, he says like the community of sufferers when everybody's together, that's when, stuff happens it's like colin's picture you you know if you believe in something you'll you'll sacrifice everything right believe in something like that right like was the picture in that ad okay he just got a deal from nike okay so yes he lost his job but he didn't lose everything he got yes 10 million there's an admirable thing in what he did because he knew he was losing his job there's something admirable there he did not lose everything that's nonsense nonsense and and to and for nike to exploit that mm, it's not going to pay for them it's not going to pay well it's not going to pay out well and that's what they're looking for is pay you know so, what's, you know what's weird though so i don't know if they've changed their practices but i know that you know about a decade ago nike had kids in vietnam working for like 12 cents an hour getting cancer gluing soles on shoes i'm pretty sure it's still happening it's got to be happening yeah, somewhere. That's is. that's how businesses operate. <laughs> they have sweatshops still. That, that why scandal is it, was just overlooked. Why is it more upsetting to have some dude take a knee during the National Anthem than it is to buy shoes that are made by children? There you go. There's like some value issues at stake here. People yeah. are petty and weird. Mm. They are. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I feel like also like mob mentality took over. Like the issue that Colin brought to that table was already a lit fuse. They were kicking a stick of dynamite that was already lit. And when you have an issue that's that hot, you're going to have fallout. So they knew that. That's that's why I have to say, I have to agree with Dave, there was the bottom line was dollar bills. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But but dollar bills coupled with a message, like the message can still be important. But the message is dumb. 
The message that he gave up everything is a dumb message because it's not true. Not, he didn't give not up the everything. Issue. Not he just the got issue a ton of money. A ton of he gave up something. It should have said that. If you believe in something, then you should be willing to give up something, right? Not everything. He didn't give up everything. That's nonsense. And they they are wrong for putting that on there. He didn't give up everything. He didn't. Martin Luther King gave up everything, right? Ryan Job gave up everything. He was a Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. They gave up everything. Colin Kaepernick didn't give up everything. And I, I like Colin Kaepernick. And I think he gave something up. And he stood for something. That's great. But Nike just went and screwed it up. Because he didn't give up everything. So now you've added to polarization. Because the other side's going to go, what I just said. He didn't give up everything. And they'll do it in a more polarized way. They won't say, I like, I like Colin Kaepernick. Like I do. I like Colin Kaepernick. I think what he did was amazing. And I'm glad he's getting paid by Nike after losing that job. I think that's great. And they should have messages about the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement. Nike should have messages like that. That's awesome. But he did not give up everything. Sorry, you're wrong. And you're going to pay because people are calling your bluff. It was a dumb thing to say. There's a lot of other things to say, but that's not what you say. Should Nike have advertisements like that? I mean, why shouldn't it just be like Nike? We make shoes. But they should be allowed to. Businesses should be allowed to make political statements. Sure. To their free, own hurt. Sure. Free speech and all that. But it kind of turns my stomach. It It's like for, for years, Nike has had this, this thing like they're selling values like hard work, dedication, like commitment, you know. <laughs> We're all about these generic athletic values that we're pushing through sports. I mean, I guess it's kind of nice that they have a value statement about something specific now with Colin, but... I mean, what do you think about a non-polarized use of like someone like Michael Jordan? They, they, they completely abused his stardom. I think it's obnoxious. Now, I... I I understand it. It makes sense. Like, I am terrible at marketing. I would never make a good marketer because I would sell, you know, food in a pack that said, beef, this came from a cow that ate grass. You know. I think that's, called, I think that's called hipsterdom. Right. It's working, though, too. I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it's it's not an easy issue. There's a lot of layers to it. I just, in speaking with the African-American community and the limited exposure I have, I get this feel that I just don't understand. And it's not like the way you like cut someone out of a discussion you don't want them to be in. Like, you'll never understand, so just like go away. It's like a, like, I just can't even explain it to you. Like, what it's like to be growing up this way with this completely different set of circumstances and like I'm just trying my best to understand like and empathize and I know everyone else is too I'm not saying like the whole studio isn't and I am that's not that's not what I'm every one of us is you sound I just said you sound a little bit like like that line about when Martin Luther had run across something in scripture he didn't quite get like you just kind of want to tip your hat and recognize that there's a background there that you might not be party to well tip my hat but more than that like speak out like within my me. own circles and say like I don't fully understand what I see is like pain and yeah maybe people are exploiting that maybe some people have weird motives but 
there's like a discussion that needs to happen and when I've asked my African American friends like what do I what can I contribute as a white guy they say like just speak up talk about it with your friends which is what we're doing now you know and and I don't think any for the record I don't think anyone in this studio is racist I don't think anyone here is against anybody like that's not what I'm saying I just I feel like I'm at a spot where I'm like doing my best to speak up and I don't speak up from a place of like I know the secret info and you don't so listen to me it's like a look I'm just trying to figure this out I've talked to people who have like quote boots on the ground and like your self-criticism needs to come through like the fact that you're you have a left-wing view right and you need to couple that with it's wrong to say that colin kaepernick sacrificed everything that's wrong you should be able to say that about your and i can say he sacrificed something the way you said you that that the way you were saying yeah he He sacrificed something because he he sacrificed sacrificed something something. he absolutely did and i understand how someone who did lose their life in combat would look at that and say like you know, or a family member of someone who lost someone in combat would say, like, no, my cousin or my uncle or my aunt or my, my it's brother. It's not just subjective. You can say it's actually inaccurate. Like, right. it's an inaccurate statement and it furthers polarization. You need to be able to say that to be middle of the road. Right. And right? I'm saying that he didn't sacrifice everything in the sense of, like, someone who lost their life in combat. Right. And that's. That to me is where some of the tension and polarization and he, happens. He didn't tonight. lose. He didn't sacrifice anything in any way. In any way, he didn't sacrifice everything. You don't think he had any career? No, you I, know, that was no, like on its. The statement he sacrificed everything is true in no way. Right. Right. It's it's a false statement. So like, the statement's not is not useful. It's. It would have been useful if it wasn't that absolute. But because it's that absolute, it's meaningless. He didn't sacrifice everything, so the statement's meaningless. And we can't separate that meaninglessness from the fact that he's advocating for something that's very important and meaningful. We, We can do both simultaneously. Sure. And I think it's important to recognize that... um. There are certain people groups in America that are against it, like that certain form of patriotism that we talked about that might be against it. And it would be mostly okay to say that generally that's middle class America to an extent. Would you guys agree? For the most part. And I think that hits on what was said in the book. This quote um, comes out to me as we're talking about this specific issue. Sebastian says, it may be worth considering whether middle-class American life, for all its material good fortune, has lost some essential sense of unity that might otherwise discourage alienated men from turning apocalyptically violent. Sure. And to me, Colin is a hero for what he did in his own right, but at the same time, Nike has exploited it and pulled it in a direction that isn't going to be as helpful to black lives matters as it could have been if he had done x that criticism can be taken without saying black lives matters doesn't matter like they do matter i just know so many people that were empowered by it i know that nike made money like i know that were they empowered by nike or were they empowered by the fact that he took a stand to start with they're empowered by the person that 
that I mean, in a lot of young African American kids' lives, Colin Kaepernick is like a hero right now. Sure, he's someone standing for something they've heard at their grandfather's dinner table, at their father's dinner table, at you know things that they've heard growing up. And like, so he's like an icon. So for Nike to like, like maybe they did exploit, but like for them to use his face as like the main punch of the ad, it's like for a young African American boy looking up at that, that's like, oh my gosh, like. My role model is like highlighted in you know in in bold letters on national television on social media. It, are, Absolutely. It, does it get sticky? You know, do people have their tentacles and things? And you know, are they do, are there motives? You know, is is money at the core? Sh- sh- you know, sure. I mean, it's a company. It's a corporation. And I think, I think um, Trevor Noah did a good job at explaining why we shouldn't align ourselves with brands um, because we don't. We may support one thing a brand stands for, but if we really do our research, we might not like other things they stand for. Yeah. And I liked his his um, take on that, and I thought that was a balanced take to say, like, okay, buy the sneakers if you like the sneakers, but don't just buy them because you feel aligned with them politically. Because if you and he actually said what Andrew said, like, you know, if you look deeper into Nike, you may find things you don't like. Yeah. So like, I'm there with that for sure. I just I love the moment in history. I love. I feel honored to be a part of it f- from a distance, I guess. Like, I'm not, like, in in it because, you know, I'm I'm not an African-American man. But, like, I, I don't know. I want to go on record saying, like, I don't have any superior view of anything. I'm not, like, correcting the world from this little podcast. Like, all I'm saying is I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to have my ears open the same way you guys are to my African-American friends saying, what can I do? How can I help? How can I speak up? what is there you know what is my place like i don't want to i don't want to overstep my boundaries i don't want to pretend i understand things i don't i just want to get behind the people that are making a difference and like when i saw the the twitter feed of vets for cap that say i fought i fought for this country so he could do that like that's like there are vets that are saying like leave him alone like that's part of why i fought in the war was like so someone could say i don't feel safe here or protest peacefully you know yeah so that's where i'm at is like i just want to help in any way i can and i know sometimes i probably make missteps on both sides of the discussion and people listening can you know make a judgment call on that and um and i on record don't think like i'm right and the studio is wrong i'm just like but i don't think you think you are i don't think we are you think we are wrong i don't think you think we are wrong i mean you you conceded that it was an inaccurate statement sure and you can concede why that would piss people and off. And I can concede that like someone who lost their father on the battlefield is going to be hurt by that cuz cuz that is the ultimate sacrifice to give your life. You know, and and like so, one could argue, you know, maybe or even within the within the 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 civil rights movement. I mean, Martin Luther King gave everything. Sure. Colin Kaepernick didn't give everything. He gave something, and it's admirable and we love him. I love him. And I understand why young black kids find him to be a hero. It's obvious to me. And I did fight for him to be able to kneel. I don't think it's the best way to do what they want to do. I really think it misses the mark. I think that, I think that what he's doing now is more, is more um, what he needs to be doing, which is continuing to address the issue and to bring it up and for it to be part of dialogue. But that's... Off the field, he's doing that now. He's putting his boots on the ground, which is awesome. And I'm glad Nike's paying him for it. I think it's great. You know? What I don't understand is this return to um, this like base, symbolic nationalism 
well, like, you know, the president is hugging the flag. Like, yeah. what are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, what are, what, are, what are you doing? And the idea that the national anthem is only sung in honor of veterans rather than a set of ideals... Like, like somehow, like, I, I just, I literally don't understand how. I don't think it is. I, I don't understand how this guy taking a knee, the levels of interpretation that people go to, like immediately, he takes a knee, he's disrespecting my father who fought in a war. No? What? Like, I don't. That's a really valid point. I don't understand but how that leap is made. Knee, it's the fact that there are people that believe I mean, they're they're right. They believe that it, the national anthem is a joke because it doesn't include the fact that slaves built this country too. Yeah, and the but, I mean, have you ever seen the original salute that they used to do with the, the pledge to the flag? What was the original? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they changed oh, it right. after the Nazis. <laughs> well, I, even, um, I to this be is honest, post World War Two, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. Am, like, Nationalism is is weird. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that I grew up putting my hand over my heart and pledging allegiance to the flag my whole life. I'm, like, I'm I don't do that to it. anything else I care about. Not even my own wife. I don't say, I pledge allegiance to my wife for which she stands. Like It's like, I yeah. have allegiance to her. I love her with my whole heart. But like the whole like symbol, and I put my heart, and I stare at it, uh, way aside from this discussion, like on a completely separate level, that's something I've been deconstructing like... Every morning I did that as a kid, and it's like yeah. deep in my subconscious, like I'm, that poem. I'm know? I'm okay with it because it's it, for me it stands for a set of ideals. Like this country is about a certain set of things that we're always working towards: freedom, liberty, and justice. And you know, almost by definition, there's no. You can oppose somebody's conception of those things, but the ideals themselves are are part of what brings us together as a country. But right? the song is the song is about war. It's not about it the is. ideals of the country. It's not the pledge of allegiance. It is. It's it's about war and it's about victory despite the chaos of war. It's about the war of eighteen twelve. Yes, it is. And and I think that it's in it's important to remember that this experiment is the best thing that's ever happened to humanity if you're not african-american no for them right now they they have the benefits of a country that has never this is a this is a brand new thing and there has there's there's hints of it back in greece and there's hints of it in the french revolution the english in the english uh common law like there are there are hints of it but like this is a great experiment it's not perfect and like, and it almost didn't happen several times. And World War II is a big one. And since World War II, like to me, the to me the national anthem is about it's about it's about the fact that this almost didn't exist. Our nationalism is like I heard a quote one time that like America was it's it's om- if at one point it was so fragile that if you whispered it would like the idea would disappear. Where is that quote? Do you remember that quote? What is it? It, like that America was an idea and if you whispered it might like disappear or it might it might fly away or something like that but to me like yeah African Americans have had it rough in this country and there's and there's two sides of the coin it's not perfect and we built it on the blood of African Americans and we built it on the blood of Na- of Native Americans and right. and, and, that's and, what I'm and we built it on the blood of Americans that fought for this thing to exist since that stuff sure. right and to me the fact that like white people and black people fought together 
in World War II. There was problems between them in World War II. There was groups of black people that fought alone and had to go in the front. There's a lot of nonsense, but like, but there's also this very interesting, like to me, like the national anthem should include the fact that it's built on the blood of slavery and the blood of national America and the blood of native Americans. But, but it's also on its own, it wouldn't exist without the blood of Americans fought in foreign wars. And like, that's why it it's kind of like, yes, like the awareness of, of the black community and what they've suffered for this country is important. But like, but you might it might suit you to not kneel for the thing that respects the ones that die it's not just america's great that's a that's oh it's a... marcus aurelius there was a dream that was rome you could only whisper it anything more than a whisper and it would vanish it was so fragile huh but uh so anyways i would just say that like to me to me we should be careful with the anthem like no, like maybe we shouldn't sing it at at every sporting event. Maybe it's getting maybe it's getting washed out. Maybe it's yeah. like don't have them stand at every sporting event. Like do it on Memorial Day. Maybe it'll be more pop, maybe it'll be more profitable. But I guarantee like people aren't going to Memorial Day parades and kneeling in the middle of the street because it's very apparent that those those days are for they're for the blood shed. So maybe that's the clarification is like stop singing the anthem. I, I just yeah. don't. Yeah, sorry. So one one thing that I'm thinking of through this discussion is I keep uh, keep remembering uh, I've been studying this a lot recently. Uh, just all the good that is happening in our world lately, like it is better to live in Africa today than to be in America uh, like a hundred and fifty years ago. Like your life, like I keep reiterating this point like yes like our world is pretty awesome right now and your life expectancy is hot is the highest it's ever been your literacy is the highest it's ever been and yes the one factor that is going that is inequality is the highest it's ever been too so mm. so the thing is the difference between the richest person and the poorest person is the greatest it's ever been however the life of that poor person is better than a rich person 200 years ago yeah i understand but like i mean i think that begs the question like is it so great for everybody? Like you're saying, like, this is a great time to be alive. Life expectancy is high. Things are, like, going awesome. But, like, to me, it's, like, for a certain group of people. No, I'm saying class everybody. 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 It's, it's better. Every, it is better for the poorest person today it's improved than the richest for person everyone. 200 years ago. Yeah. But we still have a ways to go, right? You would consider oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, we we have a lot to Because you were woke on. about politics way before I was right. even semi-woke no, about politics. So, so... Before you were a <laughs> Well, you so, were a yeah, twinkle we, in your we, daddy's we eye. Have... <laughs> Sam was I mean, campaigning. No, no that, that's the <laughs> long-form conversation that we need to have. It's like, yes, we have a lot of problems. Like, it's 
unacceptable that innocent people are being shot by cops. Like, that's unacceptable. Right. Um, but in order to fix that problem, we need these long-form conversations. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be fixed by slogans, by Nike slogans. Like, yeah. it's not going to be fixed that way. All, all that does is anger people. No one's persuaded by a slogan. But some are empowered by it, Sam. People are empowered, but... Is that, it turning the tide for But the is it convincing people? No, I think, I think, honestly, some people are doubling down in their views after right, the no, ad. Pe- so. People are doubling down, yeah. but it doesn't matter if people are doubling down. Uh, people doubling down is contributing to polarization. Right. So doubling down and empowerment, that's polar that's polarization. That's not solving the problem. Yeah. Okay? So we we want to solve the problem and in order to solve the problem we need to get together and talk about it. And so it, it empowered so the the Nike slogan empowered one group of people but pissed off another group of people. And didn't cause it didn't solve anything yeah i i mean i i think um i think you've all made great points and it's a lot for me to think about um and i think that uh this book is a good a good reminder not to resort to our tribal roots on either side of the discussion you know and um i think we need self-correcting mechanisms for both sides both parties Mm -hmm. all of the parties i think we need like we were saying earlier, a better representation of the middle. Like, imagine if there was a debate, you know, in 2020 for the presidency, you know, and there was, like, another party, and not just libertarian, but, like, another party that's like, yeah, so, like, I think everybody has good ideas, and let's work together. Like, they'd probably be undercut immediately, but, you know. And I think that, like, this book, in in some ways, really, it really helps us look at maybe some of the uglier parts of ourselves, um, that we've inherited or have been passed down, and also with a hope towards the future that maybe we could, uh, you know, kind of leave some of these tribal ideas behind and, and come together as one. And I think that we um, like we covered a lot of ground tonight, a lot of controversial ground, and I think um, I've got a lot to think about, and I think, um, man, it's, it's complex, man. The more you dive into this stuff, it's like, man... You grow up with sound bites, and I don't just mean me and like my background. I mean just so many young people I've talked to. You grow up with these sound bites, and then you start to really listen to people. You start to talk to the person, and what was that like? And how was it like when you were twelve? And what was your like? The more you dive in, it's like, man, this is so complex. And I actually want to close it out by saying, you were the contrary voice in our group when we began politically you were the only left-leaning one that i can recall andrew was probably closer you were maybe more you is sam center right yeah center yeah you is sam when i'm saying you sam was like leaned hard left and we like we were we resisted that you know we really i can speak for myself i wasn't my best self in those conversations at all you know i've evolved (laughs) no pun intended towards this discussion and i've got a long way to go but I think the way that you handled trying to bring us to the table with politics, even though it was hot sometimes, and thank God we weren't recording podcasts back then. <laughs> We'd never want to download those puppies. But like 
thank you for that. And I think maybe the road forward as, as, as people is, is to have those conversations with people who think completely differently. And maybe, you know, later when our frontal lobe kicks in in the mid twenties, we're like, man, he had a good point and it is complex, isn't it? So I think, I think that's a good way to close it out. Let's keep these conversations going. Let's keep in each other's ear, even if it's not exactly how we see the world and learn from each other's perspectives best we can and try to help, you know, try to help those in situations, you know, that are worse than ours, no matter what the context is, you know. And the, and the good part of our tribal nature is the fact that we, that we thrive when we come together and like, and to take the opportunity of difficulty to come together and like, and learn, learn what it's like to be a group of people that holds each other up and goes forward and, you know, speaking Dar- Dar- in a Darwinian way, like surviving, like let's do the thing that helps us as a small, as a family survive, as an individual survive, as a community survive, you know, as a nation, as a world, like it is kumbaya, it is hippie, but like, it's also, it's also evolution. It's like, we, we have something in us that's also really beneficial. It's like our, this ability to, to move, to move together in the face of chaos. It's like, we can do it. Like we actually can do it. We've seen it happen.